Hi, this is Katie Foley, and you are listening to Life Giver. Welcome to Life Giver Military Spouse Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life into your military marriage and home. This is Corey Weathers, and I'm so excited to share in this journey with you. Close your eyes for a minute if you wanna see the world. Hi, this is Lena Steiner. We're currently stationed in Washington, D.C. To give a shout out to Alyssa Stauffer. Alyssa really saved me in so many ways um, that second deployment, and I just admire her on so many levels. Her commitment to her family and her commitment to supporting Brian through his career has just been amazing for me to watch. And she is also one of the people who I model my parenting after because she is like a rock star mom and has the patience of a saint. And I am just honored and blessed to have her part as a part of my life as well. Welcome to episode four of Life Giver Military Spouse podcast. This is Corey Weathers, and today I'm going to share an interview with you with Lena Steiner. Now, I have to tell you a little bit of background on Lena Steiner. I met her in 2008 when we were stationed in Colorado. Her husband, Corey, also named Corey, um, just to keep any confusion at bay, um, her husband was the rear detachment commander for our squadron in Colorado during our first deployment. So I grew very close to Lena and Corey Steiner because of my work as a care team coordinator during that very difficult deployment. But something has really just stood out to me in them as a couple over the years. First of all, when I knew them in Colorado, they did not have any children yet, um, but they were just an incredible couple that worked together as a team. They were very mission-focused on taking care of the families around them. And I know that Lena really sacrificed a lot of time with her husband during that deployment so that he could do his job and take care of all of the families that really struggled through a lot. And in fact, I, I know some of the things that I saw him do, and it was just a small portion of what he really did do during that deployment. He doesn't, he's, I don't think he's ever really gotten the recognition for that. Not that he asks for that, but, you know, giving people the recognition for just outstanding works of service and in their jobs, I think is really important. But I can tell you firsthand that I saw this couple, what I'd love to call as a power couple or as Team Steiner, if you will. Um, they did an incredible job serving families and um, also wa- working through the, the beginning years of growing in their own marriage. So I wanted to share Lena with you today because when I first met her, she was still getting to know herself a little bit. They were serving all of these families and also lost some very good friends and had to learn how to serve through their own grief and what that looks like. And then I saw Lena go through a very difficult stage after that where she really struggled to find her place in the next assignment that they were placed in. It was a different community, a different group. And she found herself finding that it wasn't as easy the second time around with a new set of people. There was something definitely very special about our community at 361. And I know that there's a lot of you out there who've had that experience of being involved in a military 
community that was very tight and very close and everyone took care of each other. And then you maybe have gone on to other places where it didn't feel like that so much. And that ebbing and flowing or that vacillating back and forth between having a really good experience that's tight and supportive and then going to another experience where you were lacking community and connection and leadership, it can really be difficult on us. So When I saw Lena kind of going through this normal process as well, what I saw her do over time is really learn how to find herself and make these personal goals to really begin to thrive and bloom as a military spouse herself. So um, I wanted to share this interview with you, and she's going to talk a little bit about their experience back in Colorado and talk about what her perspective is on why that community was so strong. And you're going to hear her talk a little bit about leadership, which I think is really crucial. If you have leaders out there who are learning how to set up key spouse events or how to set up FRGs or commanders out there who are wanting to really make a successful community out of the military families, I think this is an important podcast for people to listen to because you're going to hear what did command and what did leadership do really well in regards to taking care of families. Um, You're also going to talk about um, how she has grown within her own marriage. And even bigger than that, you're also going to hear her talk about the kinds of goals that she set for herself and finding her own passion and things that she could do for her to help her really find her stride, if you will, as a military spouse. So with that, let's get right into my talk with Lena Steiner. This is Lena Steiner. And yes, and she's a good friend of mine. And um, she was part of 361 back in Colorado when we were stationed Mm -hmm. at Fort Carson. So, Lena, I thought maybe to start off, you were unique as one of the spouses of 361 and that Mm -hmm. your soldier was not deployed with the rest of the soldiers. So I thought maybe it would be good for you to explain what... Corey, his name is also Corey, mm-hmm. um, what, <laughs> what his job was, because when we say rear detachment commander, a lot of people don't know what that is. So okay. describe what he did and how his job was different and why he stayed back. Okay. Um, so he was the rear detachment commander, which basically meant he was left in charge of the squadron. Um, everybody back who was left back um, in the squadron. So soldiers who were injured, soldiers who were in legal um, problems, um, soldiers who were naughty and got sent back or were naughty before they even left and were in the process of getting uh, kicked out. Um, He was also responsible for um, making sure all the family members were taken care of. And so he had wore a lot of different hats. So, um, you know, everything from, being a counselor to being a parole officer to being a, you know, I can't even a financial advisor to people. Um, I mean, we got, and he was on call basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week from the moment the deployment started until after reintegration. So for about eight, well, 15 to 18 months, he was really like, could, didn't get a break, didn't get People would call on the weekends. People would call in the middle of the night um, and over crazy things, um, you know, and some some of it was was really important and some of it was, you know, less important things. But he always answered his phone um, and his role also was to be the support 
for the unit that was forward. So that way, um, Colonel Brown and, and all of the leadership that was deployed to Afghanistan didn't have to worry about what was going on back in Colorado with either the families or the soldiers that did not deploy or were sent back from deployment because Corey handled it. So, um, yeah, and he, you know, was responsible for making sure the chapter processes happened for the soldiers that got in trouble. So, um, and making sure those soldiers, you know, were maintained the correct path while they were still in the army and then, you know, got started the process of getting them out of the army. And he also, um, you know, really made sure the families were taken care of and answered questions and went to all of the FRG meetings um, for every single troop um, and always answered questions. So um, it was a very intense time period uh, for for the both of us, because, you know, it was I was aware that that was what his job was going to be. So even though he um, didn't deploy, he was gone a lot because he would go in usually in the office um, by he would leave the house sometime before five in the morning and oftentimes wouldn't get back until um, seven, eight at night, sometimes later. And then occasionally he'd, he'd get home on um, earlier. But again, he was always on call. So there was always the chance of him getting called in if something happened. And so when incidences did occur, when we did have casualties and when we did have um, injuries and whatnot, um, he was also a part of that process. Uh, he didn't do the notifications for soldiers who were um, killed, but he did do the notifications for soldiers who were injured. And there were quite a number of injuries um, during the deployment. So he uh, was responsible for making sure all of those family members were notified when that happened. And um, and then also when soldiers came back from deployment injured, he also made sure they were taken care of. So it was a very, um, very comprehensive job. <laughs> so when I, I worked very closely with Corey, um, since he was a rear detachment commander, I worked closely with him while I was working with the care team mm-hmm. and working with um, the Gold Star families. And he definitely did. Well, you as a team, both of you guys as a team really took care of us as families. You know, when I had a car accident on the highway, Corey was the one that we called, that mm-hmm. I called. Um I believe he was actually in the middle of a movie that you guys yeah. were seeing when I called <laughs> yeah. you guys. You know, you guys yeah. didn't have a chance too much to go on dates. No. Because there was always something to respond to. Yeah. And I've, I would like to, I mean, Corey really didn't get um, enough, I don't want to say attention because it's not the attention that I think the soldiers usually need. Right. But the recognition for how hard he worked and for how important his job was and how critical it was that he was such a great leader mm-hmm. and what he did for us as a, as a unit, what he did for us as families. And um, that was really because of how hard he worked for how loyal he was and how he really did do a great job taking care of all the spouses and families that were left back. And so yeah. um, I am eternally grateful for how he went above and beyond what he was asked to do to take care of so many people. So what would you say about um, watching him as your service member, as your Mm -hmm. soldier? What has it been like to watch you watch him do such a great job in his job? And, um, and I, and how how hard he's worked, I think on your marriage as well. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think for me, I was so proud of him and I was nervous when, when he first got tasked with being the rear detachment commander. Cause I was like, oh man, like, 
I'm, I was worried about how the other spouses were going to respond to me. And like, if people were going to be upset with me, cause my husband was still, you know, still technically here, you know, and it wasn't deploying, it wasn't going to be in danger. And so, um, I was, I was happy for myself cause I, um, I was, you know, obviously happy that he wasn't going to be in harm's way, but I had no idea how intense, um, of a time it was going to be for the both of us. Um, and as you say, I, I was really, really proud of him because the deployment before where he was in Iraq and I was left behind, I had no contact with the rear detachment at all. Like they were completely, I mean, for lack of a better word, useless. Like I, I didn't, I, I don't even know what the guy looked like. I don't know. Like he did not come to any FRG meetings. I, I'm not really sure what he did other than he was, you know, getting out of the military and was kind of already checked out. So um, I know Colonel Brown intentionally chose Corey because he knew he wouldn't be like that. And I'm, you know, I think it was a very wise decision on his part because, um, you know, when Corey's tasked with something, that's just his nature. He's going to do the very best that he can um, and throw himself into it 110%. And I agree with you in that, that there's not a lot of recognition um, for the rear detachment position. And before, um, there was kind of a stigma that if you if you were selected for a detachment is because you were kind of a, a dud as a soldier, <laughs> you know, like because they want to take their best guys forward. Right. But um, but I think Colonel Brown really understood that that's not usually the best course of action, because then if you don't have somebody who really is on top of it. Um, who's who can handle things um, back at the rear, then you've just got another thing to worry about when you're when you're deployed. So um, he chose Corey. And I think he did. Uh, it was a very wise choice um, because Corey really threw himself into it, uh, you know, more than I would have ever expected and more than well, not necessarily than I would have expected. I know how he works. So but, you know, it, and he really in, integrated me into it as well, because he knew it was going to have to be a team effort for us to um make it through because it was a really intense time. Um, and, and like you said, you know, he was responsible for 500 people's families and, and all of the soldiers, you know, all of the, the, the naughty ones. And, and, and when anything happened, it was on him to figure out um, how to navigate it. So I really think uh, it was, it was a wise choice. And I think that he did a fantastic job. What would you want him to know? Well, I think um, one of the biggest things that experience I gained from that experience from watching him was it really allowed me to see why he um, why he loved the army so much, because it really is about taking care of people. And I think that that's something that he enjoys doing and is a position that he thrives in. Um, And I couldn't see him do that from a day to day basis when he was just being a soldier. But from from the rear detachment um, perspective, I was really able to see the day to day workings because, of course, you know, it never ended. So, you know, getting phone calls in the middle of the night and all this other things, uh, it really allowed me to see what he what he was doing and how he threw himself into it and how much the army and the job that he was doing meant to him. And so um, I think it kind of changed my perspective because I was pretty like anti-army when we first got in because I just was like, didn't understand it, didn't want to be a part of it. And so then when he brought me in and and wanted me to be a part of it, it kind of changed my perspective. And I think it became, it made me more supportive of his overall career choice um, in the long run. Yeah. I think when I saw you guys working together, because that was my experience yeah. when I saw Corey... <clears throat> Um, really serving the families. And I remember you telling me, 
you know, I, in a, I don't know if you said that you felt guilty, but that you were definitely feeling the fact that your soldier was home and Absolutely. everybody else was gone. Yeah. And what I saw from my perspective is you really working together with him as a team. And it kind of was, if he's going to have to serve families, then you were going to do it with him. Yeah. And so my experience of not only the way that you both served my family, but the way that I saw you serve other families, I saw you really doing that as a team. And so a couple of things stand out to me in my mind. I think about, I mean, obviously what you guys did for me when I had a car accident and it ruined a date for you and you guys came and rescued me off the highway and fed me and my boys dinner while I'm shaking on the couch, recovering um, and played with them in the snow. And Mm -hmm. I remember at Christmas that's what it really stands out in my mind a lot at Christmas. You guys took the time. This was before you had kids and Mm -hmm. you made a bunch of cookies and your original goal. I'm not sure if you finished the way that you wanted to start, but it actually turned out, I think from my perspective better, but you made a bunch of cookies and your original goal was to go and and give out cookies to homeless people uh, that were living off the river. Mm -hmm. And I think what you actually ended up doing was taking cookies to some of the spouses with their soldiers deployed. And so so it was just a remarkable thing for me to watch you guys work as a team. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I think um, we both grew a lot. We both learned a lot from, from the experience and um, you know, and, and there were times where it certainly wasn't easy. I know one of the harder things for me was to watch Corey kind of get beat up on a little bit by some of the spouses who um, some of the gold star families because there were so much anger, which mm-hmm. clearly, of course, there was going to be. And and unfortunately, Corey was, uh, you know, received a lot of the uh, butt of their anger. Um, but mm-hmm. he was happy to, you know, accept that and, and or not necessarily happy to, but was willing to, you know, mm-hmm. was willing to bear that burden um, because he understood that they needed an outlet. So, you know, we hosted several of the widows who were having a really hard time over at our house for dinner, um, just trying to hear them out and and listen to the struggles that they were having, um, because you know, I know it was difficult for them to. I can't even imagine, of course, what they were going through. I still can't. I hope I never have to. But um, it was hard to, to know that he he wanted to help them so much, but there was just so much anger, and it was hard for me to watch like him kind of take the, a lot of the, the brunt of that anger, but he always would come back with like, you know what, if they're going to take it out on somebody, you know, it might as well be me. Cause I can take it. And so, um, you know, so that kind of, again, a, a lot of, a lot of these things that he was doing where he was caring for other people really just, um, re-solidified my own love for him because it was like, wow, he, I married a really good man. <laughs> he's a good mm-hmm. man. You know, like he's dealing with all sorts of craziness from all sorts of people and he's just taking it in stride and and handling it with um grace and um with a lot of integrity so you know i think that's being able to see him really work because when he you know when they're in the office and they're doing their day-to-day work as soldiers or when they're out in the field and stuff we don't get to see that you know or when they're deployed we don't get to see that we don't get to see their daily you know what they do day to day but I feel like from the rear detachment perspective, I got to see um, probably a little bit more of what his day to day was um, just because I ended up being a part of it a lot of times. Not all the time. I certainly I mean, I tried to be as supportive as I could, but clearly, you know, 
I'm not a green suitor was not I had to know my role, my role and and when and where I could be helpful. So um, and he was pretty good about telling me and, and figuring out where that line was and what I, I could and couldn't help with. Looking back, I know that you guys weren't able to go on many dates. Sure. And this was before you had children. Yeah. So you had a little bit more time than you have now. Yeah. But what would you say to some of those spouses whose service member is working these long hours and and serving the families or the, this happened a couple times for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, this, you know, after three, after three, six, one, when he took command, he was gone a lot. He was too. gone a lot. And so yeah. What would you say to some of the spouses on how to keep your marriage strong through that? You know, I just really communication is key. And I think we did a pretty good job of communicating throughout the rear detachment deployment uh, or, you know, through the deployment where he was the rear detachment commander, um, because, again, there was a lot of family issues. So a lot of times he was coming to me to, like, look for some guidance or bounce ideas off of me, which I found really helpful, which, of course, when he's in the day to day soldiering, he can't do that because I don't understand that world. So um, I think it was it was actually harder when he was a line commander um, and gone super long hours and, um, you know, always on different field trainings. And, and then there were leadership development and all these other things that would that would make it really difficult. And of course, at that point, we also had a, our first kid. So that made it more difficult because then, you know, now it's not just me that's missing him, but also his baby and his daughter. So it was tough. Um, that made it a little harder. But I think um, communication is key. And when you really start to feel like uh, it's your relationship is suffering in, in some way, shape or form, you need to talk about it. Uh, and and so that's what we ended up doing, you know, like I, and there were certainly like I said, there are certainly times where um, our our marriage has certainly not been perfect. And there's certainly been times where I've had to, you know, we've had to sit down and been like, listen, this is how I'm feeling right now. And I don't know if there's anything you can do about it. But, um, you know, this is where what's going on. And so trying to trying to make time. And it's difficult when you have young children to try and go on date nights and stuff like that a lot. But um, finding community and finding people who you can trust to and to watch your kids and who you can, you know, whether it's do um, you know, childcare swaps or whatever, so that you can get out every once in a while, because it is important to have that time for reconnection. Um, but I think ultimately, you have to communicate your feelings. And because there, I, I definitely got caught up at some points in the well, can't he tell I'm so angry? And why won't he? Why isn't he talking? And blah, 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 you know, like, that whole that whole um, cycle where if you don't talk to each other, he can't read my mind. And so then I would get cranky and then he would be, he would respond because I was cranky. And so, you know, it's just that cycle. And, uh, and so, you know, when that would happen, we would just have to sit down and really be honest with each other about what was going on, um, internally for the both of us <laughs> to be able to work through it. So, um, and honestly, yeah. your, your marriage retreats were helpful, helpful with that in the, even though we hadn't been to one in years, <laughs> it was helpful because we had some of those communication tools, um, in our, in our toolbox to, to pull from. So that was good. The deployment for 361 was extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And both you and Corey lost some friends yeah. that were some amazing soldiers, some friends of ours as well. And so if it's not too vulnerable for yeah. you to share, um, how has that impacted your experience of being a military spouse since then? And how do you guys as a couple get through the loss of good friends and still serving and still giving more after that? 
Well, it's interesting because Corey is the type, and I think it probably is one of the reasons he was such a good um, rear detachment commander, but he is excellent at compartmentalizing. <laughs> and, and he'll tell you, I mean, he he'll, says he'll say, like, I just put it in a box and I bury it deep down, which probably isn't the healthiest thing. But um, and I, I've tried to get him to open up about, you know, the feelings of loss and stuff that he's experienced, but he really just, he's not he, hugely emotional in that sense. Um, but I am. So sometimes I feel like I do the emotional, you know, uh, emotional piece for the both of us. But, uh, you know, we do talk about it. We don't talk about it a lot, but I insist on going and doing and doing some of these memorial type things more than he does. But I think it's because he, because I, I do think he likes to compartmentalize a lot. Uh, and so, you know, once that box is closed, it's closed and you don't need to keep reopening it, you know, in his in his mind. So whenever, you know, there's Memorial Days and I've done I've joined the um, Wear Blue organization for remembering fallen soldiers um, through runs and other things. And I've volunteered with them before um, through the Blue Mile. I don't know if you've heard of the Blue Mile, but it's where they put mm-hmm. all the, the photos and um the flags and the names with the with the fallen soldiers on the flags at different major races across the country. And I've volunteered with them and I've run with them as an, as an organization and participated in some of their events. And um, and then, you know, this past year we went to Arlington for Memorial Day. Um, and I think I think it was good for both of us to do that. It's something that we don't talk about a lot, but I know has affected um, both of us and, um, our relationship as well. I don't know. He hasn't been on a deployment in a little while. So, I mean, and it certainly didn't affect his second deployment too much because he was in a kind of a safer role at that point. So I wasn't too worried about his safety at that point. It was just the separation that was tough. I think that you bring up a really good point that I see. I know that my husband and I have talked about this and I've seen it in other couples Mm -hmm. is that, um, men and women, deal with grief in such different ways and that's okay. Absolutely. And men do tend to compartmentalize things and they kind of wait for the right time to deal with something. Mm -hmm. In fact, just today, Matt and I were out for a walk and, um, and he said that yesterday he thought that he saw one of the soldiers Mm -hmm. that had died at three, six, one yesterday. And the more we talked about it, we looked at our watch and figured out what the date was. And yesterday was actually the anniversary date of that soldier. Which also happens to be Corey's birthday. Yeah. Yes. And what a horrible day that was. was And I remember when he had to share with um, all of the wives about that soldier. And, um, you know, I think that there's like these certain opportunities that, especially for men, they tend to open back up at certain safe moments when it's time to open that box. Whereas women, I think we tend to process it a little bit as we go along. And we have so many more words than (laughs) men do. (laughs) And, and we are so connected, we're connected human beings Mm -hmm. that we need to stay connected. And and so we find kind of another, like you said, a trusted friend to kind of sit down and go, this is what I'm feeling today, or Mm -hmm. this is what I thought about, or I really miss this person, or this makes me sad. And, and whereas I think what I have found um, with not only my own husband, but working with other couples is, is that you tend to need to look for an open window mm-hmm. for, with husbands for when they're ready to talk about it and they need to talk about it. And usually if they really need to, they'll let you know. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, they won't, but if they need to talk about it and they're not willing to talk about it, then that's where you start to see it leak out in ways that are unhealthy. Yeah. Um, Which and thankfully, there's a lot of, I haven't seen that in Corey. I haven't seen him 
I haven't seen any unhealthy habits um, as a as a coping mechanism for any of it. So when I think I've seen a lot of service members that they their way of processing it is to move forward and do something good yeah. with the life that they have. Yeah. And that's their way of, of kind of grieving it in action. Yeah. And if they can do well at their job, if they can protect whoever they can around them, that that's kind of their way of of honoring the life or grieving what they felt like they needed to grieve. Yeah. So um, talk to me about your experience as a military spouse is kind of the roller coaster ride sure. that I, I know that you've been on <laughs> Yeah. as far as um, things got really stressful after 361, mm-hmm. as far as you becoming an FRG leader after that and experiencing that it really was not the same as 361. No. I know after I um, share this podcast with you, this interview with you, I'm going to share the roundtable discussion with the other ladies. Mm-hmm. And so um, talk for a little bit about how great the leadership was with 361 and then how that felt very different after that. Yeah, for you. absolutely. So, you know, 361 was such a unique unit in so many ways. It was like the perfect combination of people in terms of from the very top down. Um, you know, Colonel George was amazing and his wife, Patty George, equally amazing and both extremely competent, intelligent, compassionate people who um, really just cared so much about the soldiers and the families. And it was very evident from the get go. You know, Patty took a um, a role right away and making sure that, you know, during the deployment, no one was just going to be sitting around. You know, she came, found sponsors and, and organized these big brigade activities in terms of doing the half marathon. And I think she ran a full marathon because she's awesome like that. And um, <laughs> she was the only one who did. She's so badass. <laughs> and then uh, she also organized this uh, really great hike. Can I just, can I just interrupt yes. you and say, I have a memory of Patty her husband was either on R&R or had just come home mm-hmm. and Colonel now General George, mm-hmm. he's a badass. Too. Yes, he is. <laughs> but I remember running on the PT path and I remember, first of all, Patty George smoking me like she came up from behind <laughs> so me fast. and passed me. And then maybe like half a mile behind her was her husband. <laughs> totally. Like yeah. he was winded. Yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah. if I could paint a picture of Patty George, that's yes. It. So that go ahead, so continue. <laughs> so yeah. And I, you know, I remember one time going on a run with her and it was supposed to be like a group training run, but the only other person who showed up was me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's just me and Patty George. Oh no, I'm so intimidated. And it was, we were running garden of the gods and garden of the gods. It's so hard. There's so many Hills. And it was supposed to be like, I think it was like an 11 mile run. And we both like, and it was really windy and all this stuff. And I just, and we were having a great conversation because she's awesome. And we we made our, finished our run. And I just remember like, man, it's a good thing I ran with you because I knew it's Patty George. I can't disappoint Patty George. And she started laughing and I'm like, I wanted to stop like two miles in. She's like, well, if it weren't for you, I would have stopped at mile three. (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny. So yeah, she's great. And, um, and, and then she also organized that really great hike up um, Pikes Peak, uh, which also benefited like the, I believe the Colorado TBI, like the Traumatic Brain Injury Alliance. So which also, you know, affects a lot of soldiers. So it was a great organization. And, and um, she did a lot of great team building stuff and was also so accessible and so easy to talk to, you know, as someone who 
within within all of, you know the army and the, all the ranking and stuff like that it's so easy to get caught up and like ooh you know the brigade colonel's wife and be super intimidated and scared and freaked out but she never gave off that kind of vibe and was just always so approachable and so easy to talk to and um and and it really translated down the line and you know i think that's one the same way with Susan Brown you know Susan Brown was the um squadron commander's wife and she is amazing. I love her. She's, you know, still amazing, lives like three miles away from me. And I still see her several, you know, several times since we've moved here. And she's watched my kid for me in, in an emergency, you know, and just like, no problem. And it's just so warm and such a wonderful person. And I got that from the moment that I met her. And she um, was very clear from the get-go that there was not going to be drama like that that was not who she was that's not what frg was about it was about you know passing information creating community and everyone was welcome it didn't matter what your husband's rank was it didn't matter you know if you'd been in the army a week or you know 20 years everyone was welcome and she encouraged everyone to participate and uh i think her presence and that's the other thing she was always there she always came to all the meetings so you know it was it, her presence was constant and she really made an effort to get to know people so she would remember names and she was just such a wonderful um presence and it made everybody else want to emulate what she was doing so i feel like that's and i'll also really i why. would also say about sue brown is that when things got really difficult um, I don't know if she would necessarily appreciate me saying this to everybody <laughs> in the world, but she was emotional. Yeah. She she expressed her emotions. Yes. This was a very stressful thing for everyone. And so she was very human. Yes. And I appreciated Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And again, it's that it comes back to that idea of we're all in it together. You know, it doesn't matter that she's the squadron commander's wife. It doesn't matter that you're the, you know, some lieutenant's wife or some, you know, PFC's wife. Like if we're all in it together, we're all in it together. You know, and I think she was very um, transparent with that from the beginning. And and it allowed other people to be emotional if necessary. You know what I mean? But without mm -hmm. but without being, you know, she didn't that have a lot of heart. Right, she didn't have a lot of tolerance for like creating a bunch of drama for no reason <laughs> either. So which. I, and so yeah. what <laughs> what was your experience as you. <laughs> left 361 and became an FRG leader? Um, well, I mean, I wasn't an FRG leader within 361, which was a great experience because I was a little concerned at first that people were going to treat me different because my husband wasn't deployed. Um, but I think everybody saw how hard Corey was working and they just appreciated what he was doing for them. And so they, I was afraid that I was going to get some like negative blowback from, well, your husband's not here, you know, not deployed, blah, blah, blah. You don't get it. But I really didn't. Um, and I think that was a big uh, attribute or, you know, actually, I think in, in a way that was the recognition of you're doing a good job. You know what I mean? Of that, mm -hmm. of that recognition. And although no one came out and said that straight up, I, to me, that's how it felt. So um, that was nice. And then, but when I was an FRG leader um, in our next unit, it was a completely different experience. And I don't know, if it was because the deployment was not there. And there was actually a deployment that occurred during um, my time as an FRG leader in our next unit. However, 
it was when they were doing the SFAT deployments when they sent, I can't even remember what the acronym stands for. I can't remember, but it's that's when they sent a group of people, but not the entire unit, only about like, um, I think, how many was it? 15 to 20 people from each troop got sent, um, got deployed. And it was a lot of the leadership, unfortunately, for for the people that were left behind. So you ended up with a lot of lieutenants that were sent forward and some captains and some um, some top NCOs. Uh, and that got sent forward to do this um, training of the Afghan soldiers, but they were smaller teams. So then what it was created was kind of an us versus them type mentality of, well, then that's where I experienced that. Well, your husband's not deployed, so you don't understand. And it was very confusing to me because I was like, but my husband just got back from a deployment. I actually do get it. He's been deployed before, like, I've been in your shoes, please let me help you. But they were very, the spouses, for whatever reason, were very closed off. Like, in fact, they they literally created a shadow FRG that they did not want me to be a part of. And so, mm. and it was hurtful because I really wanted to help them. And I have, you know, I actually pretty well equipped to do so because I've been through it and Corey was a rear detachment commander and I had literally just, he had literally just come back from a deployment. So... It was it was kind of a, a, a very disheartening situation because I was trying so hard. I wanted so hard to help them, but they didn't want to be helped by me. They only wanted mm-hmm. each other and which I get to an extent. But then my experience with, with 361 was so opposite in that my husband was in the same kind of the same situation it was my husband was there and everybody else's husbands were gone. But they still accepted me and accepted my help. But for whatever reason, <laughs> this group of women didn't. And I think I think it was a part of the top down leadership because from the brigade all the way down, there was a very much an us versus them. Those who are deploying or those who are, have been deployed are on one team and everybody who's back is on another team. So there was a I, lack of cohesiveness within the unit. And I think think that what is really great about your story is that it really... Um, it really shows the power of good leadership. Absolutely. And I hope that leadership is able to listen to this interview and kind of think about what am I doing as far as um, caring for the families and making them feel comfortable and helping people be involved. And, and there's some really great things that we can look back and say, here is some, here is an example of something done really well. Yes, absolutely. And it really has this way of impacting families and spouses. So I remember when you were having this very difficult time and I think towards the end of that experience is where I really started to see um, you really turn a corner mm-hmm. as a military spouse. And when I see you now and I see you doing these amazing things like running 10 miles at six and a half <laughs> months pregnant and smoking me on, oh, a, on a four, four mile run um, and you're pregnant, um, it just amazes me at how well you're doing. So what was it that helped you turn the corner and helped you yeah embrace I think, I think a part of it is that I I, I had to because I'd kind of made that part of my identity in 361 as being the FRG leader being really helpful and helping other people because they wanted to be helped and they wanted I, I felt so useful and when I became a part of this other unit and they didn't want me like I, it was very clear and I tried as hard as I could and I still stayed a part of the FRG and I still helped like on the squadron level with activities but in my particular troop they did not 
want my help. <laughs> and so I finally just had to be like, you know what? I can keep beating myself up over this or I can take care of myself and whatever. I'm just going to let it go because the more I dwell on on what's wrong with me, why why are they not wanting help from me? Like ultimately, that's their choice and I had to be okay with it. I had to make my peace with it. So, I mean, it took a while because I had come from this situation where you know, I felt like a great like a huge piece of the community that was needed and 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 um wanted. And then I went into the, another, another area and they didn't want my help. So I was like, okay, well, okay, what am I going to do <laughs> instead? So I just kind of had to let it go. And so that's, you know, I kind of threw myself more into, um, into my own, my own goals. And my own goals were, you know, running related and fitness related and, and getting to teach again. Um, cause we were just coming back from, um, from moving from Colorado or moving from Georgia back to Colorado. So getting on my feet and, and teaching classes again and focusing on making myself as healthy as possible. Um, so that I, you know, I could take that focus of way away from, well, what's wrong with me? Why, why are they not wanting help from me? And, and kind of removing that layer of doubt from my own identity. Cause I was like, yes, in the end, it's not worth the heartburn. <laughs> So how would you say that you're different now than you were back at 361? Um, I think I'm probably, oh, I'm, I'm definitely more confident and um, more competent in terms of learning and, and, you know, trying to figure out how to navigate the military life. Um, you know, one of those things that, and an experience that I gained from being in a community where I wasn't wanted was, okay, well, where's the community that's going to want me? Because <laughs> you know what, they're not, they're not always going to want you. And if that's the case, you need to find you need to find your community wherever you're at. And for me, thankfully, I was still in Colorado. So I still had a fair amount of community from the 361 ladies, um, from ones who were there and from ladies who had come in even after I left, but they were for whatever reason, still super awesome, welcoming, warm women. <laughs> so, um, so it was really great because uh, I still had some support from from that community um, being back in Colorado. But I, I and then, of course, you know, making new friends in terms of running partners and and um, and stuff like that, you know, and in and, and my Zumba and, and the classes that I taught at Lifetime, making new friends that way. So it's really just um, that's one thing that I really learned from from that experience is that if you sometimes as awesome as the army is in terms of community, sometimes it's not. And when it's not, you have to find a way to to find community or you're going to be or, or you're going to be miserable. And, you know, especially I feel like you like you said before, women are very social um, and it's hard to be isolated. And so you have to find a way. And uh, I think my experience through 361 and after has really taught me that. And it's helped me when I moved to Virginia and they're, you know, at the Pentagon with Corey being at the Pentagon. And then he's also um, with his first year here, he was in school. So he was in the civilian world and there was no FRG. There was no like built in military community, even though this is a very military dense town, there aren't FRGs because it's, it's at the Pentagon. It's not at a base, you know? And so it was like, Oh gosh, how am I going to meet people? And thankfully I developed this passion for running um, and I am um, in an incredible group of, of um, moms 
It's called Moms Run This Town, and it has been my lifesaver since I've moved here. And in fact, many of the women who are in the group are military spouses. Um, and not all of them, but lots of them are because of the, the nature of the town. But um, it's been great, and it, they've been a huge source of support for me, and I try and be as supportive as I can of them as well. And so I think that's one thing um, that's really changed in me, and I think 361 helped develop was, you know what? find your community. And if you can't find it, then, or if you, if it's not right there for you, then go out and find it, like go out and find it. So, and I just, yeah. I want to throw out there that you have a beautiful little girl. That's four. Her name is Lily. <laughs> yes, and you're about to have a little boy that you're still deciding on what his name will yes. be. Not no, no names <laughs> yet. And you are planning on running the Boston marathon yes. that you qualified for soon after. Yes, I will be running. Right? Yeah. So I qualified at the Marine Corps Marathon last year. Um, and then I am going to be I'm due in late October. And the race Boston um, that I qualified for is in mid April. So it'll be about five, five and a half months. I know um, five and a half months postpartum about. So I know that I'm not going to be super fast, but I know that I can do it. So um, so I will. <laughs> of course you will. So. Do, is there anything else that you would want to say to any military spouses out there? Um, if you were to encourage them in some way, what would you say? I would say um, get involved. And it doesn't necessarily have to be through the FRG. Although if you get involved in the FRG, you're going to learn a lot about um, what your husband does and how to become a bigger, a more integral part of um of his life. And I think that that is great for relationships overall. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to get involved, um, whether it's volunteering, whether it's finding um, your passion, whether it's running or um, who knows, you know, knitting or sewing or whatever it is, you know, people who, crafting, that's so not me, but there are people out there who are super awesome and crafty. Um, you know, you have to find your passion and you have to, um, pursue it. Uh, and, and it's difficult in the military lifestyle to sometimes pursue your passions because of the transient nature of it. So sometimes it's helpful to find a, a passion that is mobile <laughs> that you can take with you. Um, and, but getting involved in some way, shape or form, um, I find is very helpful. And if you can get involved in the military community, uh, whether it's volunteering, I've run through, I've run with through my running, I've, I've run with different organizations. One of them has been the Fisher house. Um, and so, you know, find military organizations. There's so many out there that are doing so many wonderful things. Um, I've also run with uh, team red, white, and blue. And I've also been involved with the um, wear blue to remember. So there's a lot of different groups out there, whether um, it's out doing outdoor physical stuff, but then there's also all sorts of opportunities to do, volunteer work with all of these amazing organizations and however you can get plugged in to be a part of the military community, the better off I think you'll be just because once you feel like you're a part of it, then uh, it's so much easier to accept all the nonsense that goes on with it. Because <laughs> so, it's not an easy life. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of difficulty that comes with being um, a military spouse and uh, so finding people who are in a similar situation uh, is so helpful because they can commiserate and you guys and, and you know, it's you can commiserate and also celebrate 
the wonderful things about the military as well. So, cause you know, civilians are great and I have a lot of civilian friends, but they don't always get it. So it's good to have a mix of both and getting involved is a great, great way to do it. So I can't tell you and Corey enough, just how amazing of a team I think that you guys are and how much you mean to Matt and I, you've been like family to our children. You've kept our kids. You kept them when we were in Colorado. You kept them in May. You just, um, and you, you keep them and you treat us as if we're just part of your family. And I've always felt like that from you guys coming as, as a power couple yourself. And so I love you dearly. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of who you guys are as a couple. I'm proud of you as a woman and you're inspirational to me to watch you grow and reach the goals that you have. And I'm so glad that I have this opportunity to kind of share you with the world so they can kind of see what it means to embrace the military culture and set goals for yourself and really find your own identity in the midst of the stress. And that's what I, I see when I look at you. Aww. Well, so, thank you. And you know, the feeling is mutual. I love you too. And, and we just absolutely adore your family and, I can't say enough how much you and Matt have done for our marriage and and we appreciate all that you've done and continue to do. Would you want to do a couple shout outs sure, for me? Of course. Shout out to Patty George, who really just one of the, really ignited my passion for running. She really got me on this pathway. And through some of the runs I've done with her, she was like inspired me and like got me to think that maybe I could even do Boston one day. And here I am going to do it. So I think she's amazing. And um, she's also just such an incredible inspiration in terms of who I want to be as Corey continues his journey through the military. Um, I want to be just like Patty George. She's awesome. <laughs> and so, um, and then also uh, Susan Brown, who continues to be just a wonderful source of support um, for Corey and I. And she really turned my opinion of the Army around. Because before, um, before she and Colonel Brown were in charge of 361, I was pretty negative about the whole prospect. And when they took over, it's like a light switch went on and I was like, oh, maybe this isn't going to be so bad. <laughs> and there are people who are, are kind and smart and funny and, and want me to be a part of it too. And, and that was a great feeling. So being so welcomed by both Susan and Colonel Brown was just so huge. And um, I don't think she'll ever know how much changed my perspective. So and she still continues to be a, a huge support um, in here while we're both in Virginia. So. Would you like to send in a shout out and have it included on the Life Giver podcast? Anyone, civilian or military, can thank a military spouse who has made a difference in your life or say thank you to a service member for working hard on your marriage. Record your shout out by using your voice memo app available on your device and email it to Corey at CoreyWeathers.com or call in and leave a voicemail shout out to 706-431-7222 and we will do our best to include it in future podcasts.